Given that today is All Saints Day, I couldn't resist the temptation to linger one more week in Hebrews 12. Uh, It's one of my favorite passages of scripture. Uh, My final project in seminary in the interpretive classes was Hebrews 12. And so I've been living with this particular chapter for a long time. In preparation for this sermon, I pulled out the file in my filing cabinet that's labeled Hebrews, went through the sermons to see what I've said about Hebrews 12 over the last 30 years. I even found one sermon that was created on a typewriter. That's how long we've been living with this. There's one that was written by hand uh, as well. Um, But I love the description in chapter 11 of the saints, the faith chapter that we're all familiar with that, that leads us, propels us into chapter 12 of Hebrews. Well, maybe... Maybe some of you aren't as familiar with all of what chapter 11 says. Let me just read a few of the verses at the end that sort of summarize all these great people of the faith that the author is going to talk about. This is starting in Hebrews 11:32. And what more shall I say? I do, I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released. Some faced jeers and floggings and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed and two, they were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect." And then we get chapter 12, surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Chapter 12, these opening verses practically preach themselves. I mean, we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. And and these verses, well, the outline's pretty simple. The, the, The message is pretty clear in these verses. We're not running this race alone, thank God. We are surrounded by a crowd of faithful witnesses who are cheering for us to finish this race. If we are to finish, we have to throw off everything that hinders us. We must lay aside anything that might cause us to stumble or trip. It tells us that sin is a weight too heavy to carry and attempting to carry it while running this race will ultimately frustrate our ability to finish the race. It's good to know from these very first three verses that the one who first completed this race was Jesus. And he beckons to us from the finishing line. And because Jesus first ran this race, he knows every curve, every stumble, every hurdle, every pothole, every conceivable thing we might face, he's already seen it. And so he is the perfect coach for us to say, move a little right here, move a little left there, watch your pace, hurry up, slow down. Jesus knows our race. We know he's the one who marked out the pathway for us, right? So he knows what he has put in our place and he will enable us for this race. 
So we need to listen for the voice of Jesus and fix our eyes on Jesus, who's the author and the finisher, the beginner, the perfecter of our journey. It's such a positive message. It's so encouraging to hear that we're not alone in this race. And I am so grateful that Jesus is standing by shouting instructions to us through the whole process. But I wonder, on days when we recite the Apostles' Creed together, do we ever think much about that phrase near the end where we say, I believe in the communion of saints? Do we just toss that line aside or, or do we understand what we're really affirming when we say, I believe in the communion of saints? That line in the creed always brings Hebrews 12 to my mind because part of what's being referred to there is the cloud of witnesses, the communion of the saints. What is the communion of saints? One Methodist theologian describes it like this. When we gather in worship, we praise God with believers we cannot see. When we celebrate Holy Communion, we feast with past, present, and future disciples of Christ. We experience the communion of saints, the community of believers, the living and dead. This faith community stretches beyond space and time. We commune with Christians around the world, believers who came before us and believers who will come after us. We believe that the church is the communion of saints. And as a believer, you belong to the communion of saints. So every Christian who has ever lived, every Christian now living, and every person who will choose to follow Christ in the future, we together comprise the communion of saints. That whole group is the communion of saints. And so at some level, the, the communion of saints is the family of God which transcends time and which will enjoy eternity together in the presence of Jesus. And I wonder, how much do we think about the other members of our family? I mean, Paul tells us in Galatians 6, 9, and 10 that there are some heightened expectations for the way we treat one another inside the household of faith. You remember these words. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, but especially to those who belong to the family of believers but especially to those in the family. Sometimes I think we take for granted the unique blessing of living in proximity to Christian brothers and sisters. You understand, it's not a guarantee. And if it just so happens that, that you were the first person in your family to follow Christ, you might remember some of the resentment that other family members might have shown towards you. Some, some feeling of ostracism or, or separation because you, knew, you now had a new family, another family that other parts of your blood relationship hadn't experienced yet. And so you know there isn't the guarantee that we will have the ability to live in proximity to Christians, brothers and sisters in this life. But when we do have that blessing, it is a great blessing. 
Listen to what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says about this. The prisoner, the sick person, the Christian in exile sees in the companionship of a fellow Christian a physical sign of the gracious presence of the triune God. Visitor and visited in loneliness recognize in each other the Christ who is present in the body. They receive and meet each other as one meets the Lord in reverence, humility, and joy. They receive each other's benedictions as the benediction of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if there is so much blessing and joy, even in a single encounter with brother with brother, how inexhaustible are the riches that open up for those who by God's will are privileged to live in the daily fellowship of life with other Christians. This is the kind of blessing that we are meant to be to one another. The spiritual friendships we share in the body of Christ are supposed to be a treasure for us. From them we receive encouragement, support, correction, perspective, much of what we need to pursue Christ. Consider then, are there those other Christians from whom you are receiving encouragement, support, correction, and perspective? Can you bring those individuals to your mind? Who is it that is providing those things for you today? Who is it that's providing encouragement, support, correction, and perspective? All those things that we need to follow Christ. You got those people's faces in your mind? Well, now let's, let's turn the question around. Are other Christians receiving encouragement, support, correction, and perspective from you? For whom are you providing these things? Now I recognize that these questions are a little harder to answer in COVID-19 times when our fellowship is hindered somewhat. But we all know that technology makes it possible to be verbally and even photographically together even when we can't be in the same room together. And so, are you receiving the encouragement you need? There's a temptation to isolate when times are difficult. And isolation keeps this kind of exchange from happening. Are, are you isolating, cutting yourself off from the gifts of God? Perhaps the harder question is this. Are you giving to others the gifts of God that they are meant to receive from you? That's something to consider. You know, some folks may make the case for, life, for isolation and say, well, I really don't need too much from other people. I'm, you know, I'm an introvert and this isolation thing, I sort of enjoyed it and all of that. Well, you can make that case if you like, but the case you can't make is that other people unquestionably need the support that you can provide to them. And I can promise you that's true because as a staff, we've made literally hundreds of phone calls since this began. And we've talked to many of you and we know the depth of need of folks that are attached to our congregation based on the isolation that we felt. And so there are folks who need that response from you, who need that encouragement, who need that support, who need that perspective. And how are we doing at providing that? 
I confess that that is pretty much how I preached this passage for the last 30 years. And then this week, as I've been ruminating on these words, I heard something that I hadn't heard before. And it's a wonderful thing, the way scripture is ever new, isn't it? How God continues to speak through the same passages again and again and again. This cloud of witnesses, this, this group of people, these are people with whom we are destined to spend eternity. And too often, when I've talked about the cloud of witnesses, in my mind, my mental picture has just been the faces of the people in my congregation and the people, the Christians that I interact with uh, continually. But that's really a very, very narrow image of what the communion of saints really is. It's much broader, much diverse, much more universal than what my mind can actually comprehend. It's hard for me to picture people's faces in the communion of saints who don't share a language or a culture with me. But we have to affirm that that's true because the communion of saints is from eternity to eternity. All the people. What, does, what are we told from chapter 11 of Hebrews? I mean, from those olden days and all those folks who are cited in chapter 11 to the book of Revelation where we find every tribe and every nation gathered around the throne of the Lamb, we get the full spread of what this communion of saints looks like. That's the true cloud of witnesses. And so I've been thinking, what's gonna happen when we finally reach our eternal destination? And this thought occurred to me. Some of our Christian forefathers will be sitting at the banquet table of the Lord and the brother next to them might turn and ask, tell me brother, why were you thinking back during the time we shared on earth that it was all right for you to own me as a slave? That would be an awkward question, an awkward moment, won't it? Consider one day when all the trappings of power and wealth and position and heritage are removed and all the children of God are sitting around his table and we get to talking, which we always do when we're eating anyway. Imagine some of the questions we're going to be asked by those who were our brothers and sisters in Christ on the earth at the same time that we were. What questions might we face? What, what will we say to our Syrian brothers and sisters about the way we supported them in their persecution during our days on earth? What will we say to our sisters and brothers who are living in China being persecuted today? What will we say to our Christian family in North Korea or Afghanistan or parts of India? I mean, one day, I'm gonna be sitting at the banquet table of the Lord next to a person I don't know yet, and my brother will turn to me and say, I wonder, why is it that you folks wouldn't let me cross into your country to escape the drug cartel that was hunting my family in my country? And I'm gonna to have to answer that question. And 
And it's awkward questions like these that opened my eyes to a function of the great cloud of witnesses that I hadn't considered before. I mean, Hebrews 12 paints a very stark picture of what some of our comrades in the kingdom have faced for the cause of Christ, or for the sake of the gospel, or for the kingdom of God more generally. You remember the words, some were tortured, some faced jeers and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning, they were killed by the sword, they were mistreated. In the face of those who have given everything for the kingdom of God, who have given their very lives for the citizens of the kingdom, what are we gonna say for ourselves on that day? Standing next to someone who was stoned to death for their faith, will we say, I gave some money to Faith Promise every year? Standing next to someone who was thrown to the lions, will I say, I took some extra food down to the food pantry? Standing next to someone who was killed by the sword, will I say, I taught Sunday school to junior high kids for two years? Well, that may be equivalent, I'm not sure. What, what are we gonna say? It's, I'm not trying to say that the small things we do are not important. They are important. But I suspect that we could seize more opportunity to minister faithfully within the cloud of witnesses. We should receive encouragement from the cloud of witnesses, but we should be more concerned with the encouragement that we give to the cloud of witnesses. We should enjoy the fellowship of Christian brothers and sisters in Christ, we should. But Hebrews 12 doesn't invite us to skip along merrily the race marked out for us. It doesn't say sashay down the road. It doesn't say ease on down the road. It says run with perseverance. And the word there for the race, it's actually run the agony. That's the metaphor that's embedded in the Greek language there. Run the agony. It means pick up your cross. It means determined to make a difference. There are large tasks for the saints everywhere around us. And the Spirit of God is calling us to step up to them, to embrace them, to make a difference. But in our isolation, we feel powerless and helpless as if we can't do things together. We don't seem to be able to generate the momentum necessary to make a difference. But friends, we the saints have work to do. And we pray every week, may the kingdom of God come through us May the will of God be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're inviting the Spirit to put us to work, to enable us to run this race, not as individuals with the resources of one individual, but as the communion of saints with the resources of the kingdom of God to make a difference in this world for the sake of the kingdom. That's who we are, and that is what we are called to. And so I'm asking myself this week, what am I going to have to do? Who am I going to have to be 
in order to avoid any awkward questions when I find myself at the banqueting table of the Lord. What am I going to have to do? Who am I going to have to be if the saints around me are going to receive the encouragement, support, correction, and perspective that they need from me? I think these questions are central to what it means to live as a citizen of the kingdom of God and as a part of the communion of saints. And I say, let's embrace the call of Christ, that together his kingdom will prosper, that we will know the favor of God. And in the fullest possible way, will we'll express what it means to live as a Christian in the day to which we're given. Amen. And now by the mercy and grace of God, may we all together keep faith with the communion of saints, that we may live more and more the way Jesus lived, expressing his love to the world he created. To the glory of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.